Hello, you're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This is the Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie the other person hasn't seen, then we watch it and then we meet to discuss it. I am Ricardo Deacon. I am Orlin Dinas. And this week's film is a special choice from Morla because it is her birthday pick. Uh, We're slightly recording ahead. 1991, what a year. Yeah, this movie came out when you were six years old. (laughs) I watched it. We had it on VHS. Uh, 1991. (laughs) You child of summer. We did actually have it on VHS, though. That is when I first watched it. It was on proper. 4x3 or was it pan and scan? Was it pan and scan or like on widescreen VHS? I'm pretty sure it was widescreen VHS. Like, Although I don't know now, because this would have been on the old TV, so fuck knows if I ever even would have noticed. <laughs> oh man, the amount of fucking shit I used to watch on VHS, oh, because well. you just went to Chartbusters and just bought things, like rented things based on the cover. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up watching like Mothman Prophecies with Richard Gere. <laughs> that did have a co- or, Oh my god, we watched that, it was so bad. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my god, Mother Prophecies. What was the other one that I I saw? The the Kevin Costner movie, uh, uh, Dragonfly or something, that is uh, like set in Africa or something. Like, it's really weird that he dies in a bus crash or something, and his wife is trying to figure out. We ended up watching more weird shit than people actually watch on Netflix because the availability of like choice doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to watch interesting things. And then you also like uh, talking about Curtin Hansen, the reason that I brought that up as well is that I watched uh, Wonder Boys uh, through VHS, like. That way, and How like, old is that? Uh, Wonder Boys is from the early 2000s, uh, but like, Still I didn't have a DVD until like kind of VHS, thing. Yeah. yeah, I had a VHS for years when I moved to Ireland in 2003. I like, still have uh, one at home, still works. Yeah. I, I have a TV VHS combo. Oh. Wanted one yeah. of those for my room, and I still we have allowed. Jurassic Park and The Lost World in pan and scan VHS, oh which is amazing. For Jesus. some reason, it gives like a, a nostalgia sense watching those movies with that crap sound quality oh that that TV God, brings. So bad, yeah. But I remember we had High Fidelity as well, like High Fidelity, Reservoir Dogs, Ellie Confidential, High Fidelity, almost famous. A, all my favorite movies of the High time. High Fidelity is a quite uh, it, uh was it? It almost seems appropriate. To yeah, yeah. It. To because but it had back whenever if you just fast forwarded to the end of the movie it would yeah. have like special like uh like stuff at the yeah. end basically special features and uh there was a really great one at the end of high fidelity i remember when they had the coming attractions in yes. the beginning <laughs> the little song oh, and it was so like good. in theaters and then in vhs I soon know, like separately and then also like so hilariously they'd have like in vhs ads for laser disc and dvd oh, and yeah. it's like dvd oh yeah i remember being like wow and the, like I re- movies I never actually saw actually thinking of like Disney movies and yeah. stuff but I remember them because I watched the trailer so many times because they were at the start of the well like I, I, I did it went through a period uh, because of my uh, smaller the smaller cousin in uh, in Uruguay that they uh, when she'd go to visit uh, because I lived with my grandparents when she went to visit like her dad would rent like movies and I was always like fucking shitty directed video Disney movies like Pocahontas 2 and like <laughs> the, the Hunchback of Notre Dame too and like <laughs> fucking Lion King too and like But did you have the fucking um uh what do you call it? 
I'm just Spielberg alien. What's it called? E.T. E.T. Yeah. I'm just gonna remember the name of it. We didn't have E.T. We had Mac and Me. Which oh was... yeah. Well yeah. That is like fucking. It's disgusting and it's like just a product placement for McDonald's. It's, it's like so, so and fucked. And Pepsi because yeah. he loves Pepsi. It's so bad. Oh I, my god. But it's ironic because it's McDonald's is a famous Coke company. Like the like. That uh, Coke. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about Los Angeles Confidential from 1997 <laughs> thank you <laughs> because it plays itself uh, directed by Cortez Hansen the director of In Her Shoes <laughs> I was looking him up and I was like what happened to you man <laughs> like... and uh, it was produced by Arnim Milchan Cortez Hansen Michael Nathanson and David L. Wolper uh, screenplay Whopper. by Brian Helgeland who hasn't written anything good since and Curtis Hansen and I presume this is good because of Curtis Hansen <laughs> based on the convoluted LA Confidential by James Alroy starring Kevin Spacey uh, uh, Russell Crowe uh, <laughs> Guy Billing. Pierce uh, James Cromwell David Strathern uh, I'm proud of actually being kind of able to pronounce his name actually oh, practiced geez. this morning uh kim basinger and danny devito and music by, oh, oh yeah oh. Uh, walking. Uh, music by jerry goldsmith cinematography by dante spinotti edited by peter honnes uh, the synopsis is three policemen each Police? with his own motives and obsessions Tackled the corruption surrounding an unsolved murder at a downtown Los Angeles coffee shop in the early 1950s. Detective Lieutenant Exley, the son of a murder detective, husband of a <laughs> murder wife, and he will have his revenge. Uh, is that no? He's just the son of a murder detective. He's not gladiator. Is um, out to avenge his father's killing, which is a lie. Uh, the ex-partner of Officer White. Implicated in a scandal rooted out by Exley, was one of the victims. Serge, Sergeant Vincennes feeds classified information to a tabloid magnet. Like, is that it? Yeah, that's the fucking synopsis. But like, um, I have no idea how a synopsis made this movie more complicated than it already is. Like, um, um, like seriously? Okay. Uh, Thank you, and Wikipedia, the, for that gem. Before we go to like, this is kind of freeform because it's a special episode. Yeah, Ricardo has a. Um, uh, <laughs> a I have a, a, a declaration to make to the audience. <laughs> the uh, in the beginning, I say, oh, a, pick a movie that the other person hasn't seen, and then we watch, and then we to, meet to discuss it. Usually, in birthday picks, we do have also the caveat that that rule is out the window. That mm-hmm. we usually sometimes pick movies that both people have seen. Sometimes, like special guests come in, like Eileen for mm-hmm. uh, my birthday pick, and. Uh, the thing is that uh, Orla's original pick was Annihilation that I'm kind of... What way are you saying? Yeah, that's why I'm kind of... Annihilation. Hap- Annihilation. Jesus. Fuck uh, uh, <laughs> you. Inhalation? Which I watched and uh, was quite disappointed by. And then she texted me going, oh, let's do a like confidential. I haven't had time to watch it again. But <laughs> I, I, I've seen it uh, like an enormous amount of times. So... Yeah. Uh, Let's see how this pans yeah. out and how well I actually remember well, it. If I'm it sure is... that synopsis must have helped you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Refreshing yeah, your memory. 
so Orla, uh, why did you throw this fucking curveball at me? <laughs> um, well, I still think uh, Annihilation would have been an interesting, um, especially because of the whole Netflix can debate and, and everything, you know, what actually happened to Annihilation. And I have a real past with Alex Garland. Like, I love him. I love him as a writer. I had a whole in the can uh, pun thing that I was oh, going to do. And now it's no, like, no, it's, fucking, it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. Sorry. It's you're vanished not, in the you're wind. You're not allowed to say it now. Um, anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I was like, I was really torn between this and because um, this popped into my head recently, and I was like, God, such a great movie. And uh, and then I was thinking about it, and I was like, Oh, I could pick this. Mm. And I was like, No, no, I'll go for the more, I'll go for the more risky one, you know, because I knew that Annihilation is not a perfect movie, but I thought that, you know it's interesting. We don't do enough sci-fi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, and then I put this on like the other night, and I was like. You know, I think it was because this is out on streaming as well. It's got, gone up on Netflix recently, although only American Netflix. Fuck you, Netflix, is all I can say. And uh, I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll just throw it on anyways. And I kind of went like half an hour into it and I was like, oh, oh no, I have to do this movie. It's so great. Because, like, oh, I mean, like, this movie is obviously great. And what's funny about it is that, like, watching it again... Like as I said, I watched it on VHS. I was very young. I didn't completely understand it when I first watched it, but I understood that there was something there. And it is one of those movies that you watch it so many times throughout your, you know, your your life. And uh, it it's really in a lot of ways it holds up. I think and like it is a great movie, but I don't think it's only just a really well executed movie. I think it is also really interesting in a lot of ways, and particularly in the context of the podcast. I think because um yeah, co-written by uh, Brian uh, Helgeland, who also wrote The Postman. So oh, did you know that? But no, you fucking didn't. Well, like I did say, like uh, I I kind of <laughs> remember that he hadn't written anything good. Uh. So. Uh, <laughs> I love the post one, but it's not good. Most definitely not good. Uh, yeah, so then I was trying to think of like... Also, he wrote A Knight's Tale, which is what I was thinking about because I was looking at him because I was like, I know that name. I fucking know that name. And that's why. Um, but uh, yeah, so an interesting an interesting chap, let's say. And kind of in the way that uh, the Curious Hansen is like such a strange... Like if you'd pick like two people to direct this movie, like it's kind of like uh, to write this movie, yeah. you wouldn't put Curtis Hansen and Brian Helgeland. No, like you really, really wouldn't. And they ended up with what is probably the best um, Elroy adaptation like when you think of how badly I mean he is an awful lot like um like Philip K. Dick or like um um or like uh even like Stephen King or whatever like it's very hit and miss it very much depends on um the person who's dealing with the uh the subject material and I think this is very very interesting as an, an adaptation of the book because like I mean, I think Elroy even said this himself. It is unfilmable, like re- as it as it is in the book. The book is so much more complicated. There are so many more characters, and there's very very key things that they changed, which completely for the better, I think. Because the thing about the book is that you have a long time with those characters, and it takes you that long to like them because. I mean that the book is so much darker. Like yeah. I mean, it's it's brutal. Like a lot more racism, a lot more sexism, a lot more violence. Like it's a very very dark book. Um, so I think even just like looking at how they 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 made the transition into into the film and into the script is very interesting. And the fact that it's these two guys that you're like interesting <laughs> like it's, it, is, it is one of those things that it just was a weird moment in time where the whole thing worked i think and that like i mean this is quite a low budget it's only like 30 million or something and 
This oh, is the, the mid-budget Hollywood I know. Movie. This is the other tie-in, I think, that's interesting, that we talk so much about, like, especially in, you know, the, the mid-budget movie, how we don't make them anymore. And, like, the 90s really was the golden era of that. Like, and it just encapsulates everything that was great about 90s cinema that I think we are sort of rediscovering now. Like, you know, they're mid-budget, but they're, they're mature and, like, kind of assuming that most of their audience had, like, grown up on, like, 60s, 70s, 80s cinema. So they were, you know, like, they could take a certain amount of, like, they didn't need to be handheld. They were cine-literate. They'd grown up on a certain kind of cinema. So, you know, you could take that for granted, basically, and have more challenging mainstream movies. Because this was a mainstream movie. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a very, it's a Hollywood movie. Um, yeah, and it's interesting as well how, like, Kevin Spacey guy, Kevin Spacey is top built because he was the mm, the most famous well, he, actor coming off uh, Usual Suspects. Yeah, so he'd been nominated, hadn't he? Yeah, for Usual Suspects yeah. before, but, like, the... Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe, both Australians, yeah. were uh, <laughs> completely unknown yeah. when this came out. Like, so it's kind of. I think they had to get someone like Kevin Spacey to sort of yeah, yeah, get to the, yeah. get the funding. Like, and yeah. uh, that's the reason that Danny DeVito is in the movie as well. Mm. Yeah, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, obviously we'll get we'll get to the cast because the cast is is fantastic. But um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Like, I, I think that you couldn't really have made this movie in any other decade. Like, no later nor any earlier. I think because. It has, he, he's doing something very interesting as a 90s period piece, I think, that it's not sort of like um, fetishizing the 50s. You know, he, he's sort of like reverent of it, but he shoots it in a very, very interesting way, I think. And like you compare that to some of the like atrocities that have come out in like the 20 years or so since. Oh my God, that is actually 20 years. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like something like The Black Dahlia, which I think Elroy actually had a much closer hand in yeah and it's not good well like um, you, you can tell <laughs> um also what, brian de palma it's never been a what you call it um <laughs> a, a director with restraint <laughs> a disciplined <laughs> and, and uh, a, yeah a disciplined <laughs> hand like uh i think that uh somebody like um uh curtis hansen is uh is the thing that once you get a, a, such a sprawling work, is usually somebody with a singular mind that takes a better approach to it rather than somebody that likes style and likes mm. throwing shit at the wall that and, don't make and it work. And just pulpiness for the yeah. sheer sake of it. And, and like it becomes like pastiche. Um, well, or... I, I, as well, I think that much of it comes to casting as well. That I yeah. think that like the entire cast of the Black Dahlia are woefully miscast. Well, in this movie, oh. they're perfectly cast. Um, like Josh Harnett and Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, 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 like yeah. both actors that I like. Yeah, but they're, those, no. And Scarlett Johansson as well. Like just play, like Brian De Palma is very bad play, like directing women. Yeah. Um, and she is also very good yeah. yeah like yeah that, that's just really disappointing um, and it's such a waste as well because not only the book but like the, great, the case is yeah, such an interesting really, fucking and like it's very very creepy as well like I mean they're obviously within this like the whole quadrilogy um, is, is creepy like it's it's seedy creepiness like it's ugh. I mean there's a whole thing with like um is there like a whole serial killer thing in LA Confidential as well? I mean, like, there's so many plot threads going on. I can't really remember now. It uh, it it, it is like, and like the script is 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 really really interesting. But um, I think also it is a really fascinating study of um LA itself and um like the idea of like the American dream and the unraveling of like the Los Angeles dream as well. Like the 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 uh, the perfect vision and like the opening of this like where Danny DeVito reads the whole thing. Like it's the combination of like the 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 narration and the images as well. Yeah. Like, and, and it's it's uh, like the the architecture and development of LA as well as like the sprawl of it and stuff and and how everything was kind of going completely sour around this time, 
obviously like LA is just fascinating anyways and I know I'm one of those people that will forever and always want to see LA depicted on screen because like seeing directors do something different and interesting with it I know that like your man um like we've talked before about Los Angeles plays itself um very very interesting like four-hour documentary with this guy who just basically rails against portrayals of LA it's fascinating um and he has his issues with this as well but um I think part of of what's interesting um and how uh Hansen deals with it is um it is uh, like the way it's shot and also I really noticed this yesterday or um Friday whenever I was watching it because I was like it's like it's very little of this is at night and one of the real like um even something like Nightcrawler which sort of does this kind of differently as well like it's all obviously it's Nightcrawler so it's all at night but you know like really really using the nightscape or even like to live and die in LA as well like where so much of this is like during the day especially for a film noir that like is not playing with shadows or like it's kind of taking cues I think from uh it's not shot like a film noir at all and I think that it makes it more interesting I think and it very much takes its cues from Chinatown because when you think of a lot of the really big scenes from Chinatown it's during the day and it has yeah. that bleached kind of like it's like all oh, like whenever they're talking to you it has that cynicism as well uh, yeah like and it, it's come on Jake it's Chinatown <laughs> oh, like it's, it's just seedy um, like when they're like conducting interviews and raids and everything everything is constantly during the day so that whenever they use night it's really proper like and I love as well as the um, the real use of cold light and um, neutral yeah. light and it's just everything's kind of like in the background you're not being sort of like la is not being shoved in your face constantly um but at the same time it doesn't feel separate from the characters the characters feel very much of of the place and like the precinct and everything is just fantastic like every guy in that fucking thing and there's so many of them and they're all they just they are the perfect type yeah you know what i mean those dudes and they're you know and you just expect them to pull over and get fucking was it like crispy creams uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god like and the way they look at Edmund actually you know and you're not entirely you know you, you understand why they're looking at him that way I really forgot how like bleak um, and like violent this film is like I mean that massacre scene it, it really is really really dark and very chilling as well like and, and it's a lot of this movie is quite quiet yeah um, like a lot of it is them kind of creeping into places and sort of like sitting around trying to work things out and sitting in offices and it's everything it's a very like atmosphere and even like the the really dramatic like um interrogation scene like it's all talking yeah you know until bud white goes in bud white is the only real like action 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 i came in like a wrecking ball <laughs> wanna help me swing it um <laughs> I, uh, imagine like fucking uh, russell crowe like um <laughs> Like, in the little pants yeah yeah, um, yeah. but uh yeah no he he's he's really good in this and it's not that i don't like him anyways but you know it's like oh vulnerable does you she know. think he's auctioning all his shit because he's getting divorced yeah <laughs> I, I saw that there was like an article about that like the guardian or somewhere and i was like huh interesting um <laughs> fighting around the world so good for him you know like you gotta be like jack white and have a party when you get divorced you know like with your with your wife um yeah, I obviously like we've talked a little bit about the the performances and everything, and I think they're pretty much universally great, uh, except for James Cromwell um, and his weird wandering accent. Um, I'm not great as Irish accent. I... Go on, hello, boyo. Not entirely sure what what it is he's supposed to be doing. Um, 
I it, think it's like Irish, uh, but uh, like Irish that has been in like LA for years because there's no. It's so bad. All the whiskey in Ireland. <laughs> like it's just it's distracting. But he is still really great, and I think manages to get. And as well, James Cromwell should know better. Like he, he's he's not like he's been around the block. It's you just know? odd. You know, it it really sticks out because everyone else is is kind of like. I think what's great about this movie as well is that like the ensemble is so great. Like all the key players are really great, but then also all the side characters, like small yeah. incidental people, like the the like the lab technician guy, or he's like the you know the guy who works down in the basement or whatever. Um, uh, like he's brilliant. Uh, you know, like the mother of Susan Leffords is brilliant. Like he's like, <laughs> I think a rat died down there. <laughs> uh, all he found was rodents. <laughs> she's brilliant um like all the, all the little side characters even like a lot of the cops that don't yeah. really have like na- they're not named or whatever um or like buzz meeks or and then Just the names are great oh they, but like one of, one of the best with sarcastic i think is um is uh oh god oh pierce patchett yeah yeah um, who i was like because oh, he friend forever and always he will be like murrow to me from uh <laughs> from good night and good luck but um it's just like all the scenes with him like he's not even he's barely yeah, in it yeah but like in the 90s David Strathairn that, that was the character like that's how he paid the bills like he's the same like in the Dolores Claiborne so and stuff like that just like smooth and seedy with the little mustache and like completely completely sells that he lives in this like you know feckin' Frank Lloyd Wright rip off house and no it is an actual Frank Lloyd Wright house is it an actual yeah. I thought it was somebody else not that I'm like degrading the other guy but you know what I mean um, we know like it's so LA like it's in the hills probably you know it, it's, yeah. it's it's but it's still not the the. But it, do, it doesn't yeah it doesn't feel like cliche he kind sells of it completely and like god I was thinking like watching the way that whole sequence is shot as well like where it's cutting back and like the guy just comes out and he's like you okay Mr. Pratchett yeah. and he's like it's inside like the the, uh, the garage and then it goes out and Oh yeah, the blocking the the power dynamics and the blocking Just is great. Absolutely brilliant, and like at that point, it's obviously it's Bud White at the start, yeah. and again they're outside, they're like out in his balcony. It's like blistering sun, like you know, breaking the concrete, and it's just like. And then I I think it's then whenever they go to um, it's uh Guy Pierce and um and Kevin Spacey, who we'll get to in a moment. Um, uh, sorry, I just realized that this is all my interest. In yeah, it's thirty minutes. Like, uh, sorry. Like uh, last episode, you gave me steak because I did it. Like, it took me fifteen minutes to get through my intro, and I'm there. Like, okay. Ricardo, how did you think of movie? Do you? Is this all coming back to you now? Do you, do you need more prompts? This is all. For no, you. no, no. Yeah, um. yeah. So for you, Damien. Uh, First of all, like uh, saying that it's like Jerry Goldsmith's score is absolutely on point and like... Uh, yeah, and, uh, and all the other choices that are yeah. just... Like Jerry Goldsmith is uh, like somebody that is absolutely one of the best uh, composers in Hollywood history. And I think that like this is like one of his last scores, I believe. Mm. But like oh, if so you're going to go like it's like it was something with the 90s that like huge composer it's the sadness with of john williams like finishing his career when the music has like stopped being present that present in movies anymore mm-hmm. that is more generic that people like john barry had like dances with wells for his last movie like an opportunity to be 
like fucking make a score you know yeah and this as well one, like yeah. kind of thing that is like fucking ride it high kind of thing and then you see like people like even james horner that passed away uh like a couple of years ago mm. that like last few films because it's not melodies gone from hollywood films for whatever reason there's like a lot of discussion why it has happened yeah, franchise uh, to, being a big part of it i think yeah like and it's uh, the way that like temp tracking is being used etc mm. but um uh, that was like a quick aside i think that what you mentioned about Cortez hansen the way that like he uh came up with the movie um i think it's a very interesting comparison of how uh james elroy came up with the book mm. and Cortez hansen came up with the movie and the way that they pitched it and i think that it's a quite precise mirror of the difference between the book and the movie mm. the James Elroy showed up with a huge book of pictures of crime scenes from LA in the 1950s and went to his publisher and goes like, this is the book. And it's like proper like gory shit like the the and he published the book with the the picture like uh, and I think the Guardian released some of the pictures as mm. well like and it's, a, and it's so interesting the ones that he chose because you can see the feel that he was going for oh the fifties crime yeah. scene photos yeah yeah I've yeah. definitely seen those and uh, that's what he did and the way that. Uh, uh, Curtis Hansen sold the movie because postcards of LA? postcards of LA like of like orange uh, trees, the highway being sold, and uh, and like the breaking of the highway, yeah. uh, smiling uh, white faces. Yeah, like and it's uh, like also the the American dream, the post-war like GI Bill built houses that created the backbone of LA at the time. Yeah, uh, and I think it's a, a perfect uh, uh, example. Of what is the the actual, um, the interest of each author, let's say, if you were saying that Curtis Hansen is the author of this movie and James Elroy being the author of the book is what yeah. they're focused on. And I think that's quite interesting. And I, I think also the, uh, to name something that I think that it, it's surprising how well uh, Curtis Hansen is able to juggle so many things up in the air that not only like the themes of racism and police brutality and etc like uh, was it is the Christmas Day Massacre or something the, the movie oh begins, Christmas uh, Eve Massacre yeah and then uh, Silent Night Bloody Night yeah and uh, uh, also like uh, but Which was were, that was a real thing that yeah happened. yeah like yeah. Uh, that it, it grounds it in reality in a way that it, it, it's great um, I think that like this movie it shows how good the production design is compared to something set in exactly the same time which is Gangster Squad oh my god uh, that is exactly what I was thinking about oh. and, and you see that this feels like a real place at a real time mm. it feels like it's one of those few films that it feels that you've been plunked into a time machine and it was like a movie shot at that period yeah and uh, like the cars are not 1952 models they're like 1947 models yeah. that have been like slightly beat up kind of thing detail. yeah when they go into the, like the black neighborhoods yeah. and everything it's like perfect and like the sweatiness of a, like oh, pre-air conditioning this is LA. such a sweaty movie yeah <laughs> i and, forgot about that and it's like just like in the rooms and stuff and also like the use of explosion like it's an explosion of violence when it happens that it comes like there's a like small build-up like the raid that actually runs when uh, they get the call and he gets like two coppers to go with mm -hmm. him like the shotgun hero kind I of love, thing i love that shotgun and, ad i love that whenever they bring shotguns to these things yeah. <laughs> that's practical like, uh, 
if I could bring a gun to a shotgun fight. Uh, but, uh, well, like, it is very practical. Like, it's the, the reason why shotguns are used in that space is that it's point and click. It's like, you yeah, don't have to right. have a name. And as well, like, if you're shooting somebody with a thirty eight caliber, like, you had to pull a few bullets to bring somebody down. Well, a shotgun is like, you've been deleted. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, rip. Uh, but, uh, rip. But the thing with, what this movie does as well, like uh, in a visual aspect that not only looks ridiculously good, is that uh, both in the editing and in the movie, it has a real sense of space and geography about the, the movie that you know where like every every location that you come back to, where the motel is, where the Prius Pratchett's house is, where the yeah. police station is, where the diner is, where Kim Basinger's house is, that like you have... Like this real sense of feeling like what the city is. There is something in between those places and that the character has gone through that other, you know, like the the journeys around feel real. Like, and you feel like, oh, they drove like a couple hours to get there. And also like how uh, it plants the mysteries and how like they have, when they're planting the shotguns in the cars and stuff, it's like uh, the (laughs) city cops and, (laughs) and also be able to also like, comment about Hollywood and everything that like Danny DeVito and Kevin Spacey for most of the movie are in a complete separate movie yeah. like absolutely <laughs> and Danny DeVito is great in this movie oh, yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. it's like on the QT and very hush hush oh and, yeah you totally buy him as but, that guy but, like, like Sid it, Hudgens like when he's in the when they are interviewing him like interview him like torture him in the in the motel at the abandoned motel like, mm. there, there's a moment there, realization that it is for real. And it reminded me of that scene in uh, Casino when Joe Pesci realized that he's going to get whacked mm. and start screaming. And it was like that sense of like a comedic force for the entire movie. And then you realize Suddenly... like there's a mortality to that character. Yeah. Um, but also the like the this movie does have... Um, so many like great performances like you, you said like uh, especially for unknowns at the time like Russell mm. Crowe and uh, Guy Pearce are fantastic oh, the and casting the, is so they good. really control it I do not like him Basinger usually and I like her in this movie oh she's good yeah. uh, it's a very problematic character uh, but yeah. I don't have a problem with that because it is problematic on purpose I think it's like a, on a pulpy kind of issue that I don't yeah. have a, an issue with somebody with a character being problematic when the director acknowledges that he's making a comment of making the character problematic and make you feel uncomfortable with the character having that that relationship with the characters and also like that the end it's kind of like riding to the sunset kind of thing but it's with the guy who hit her yeah but like yeah but at the same time i think that it's the comment it's like of that that's the best guy like the guy that hits her once is the best guy yeah. at that time and then I also think. now like because i didn't i was thinking about like you know oh it's such a ridiculous ending it's yeah. so happy or whatever but i realized when i was watching it that, like he's like broken yeah he doesn't speak at the very yeah. very end assuming that he can't so like realistically he's not really you know what i mean he's completely he's in some way incapacitated or whatever so it's like you know he survived but you know this really is the best that she she can can get you know like it's it is still a little bit sappy at the end but yeah but like i think that it's sappy it's like both harder and kind of also that it's like sappiness and the sadness that it's mm. kind of like the ending of shane or something that is like you know shane. it's like there's no more guns in the fight and that's what i think of this movie is that this movie is a western it's not a film noir uh-huh. the people 
always refer to this as a neo-noir. I think it's a neo-western mm. more than anything else because it has all the the it has the detective thing that is the only thing that is really noir and the music is using like the the tropes of uh, uh like the the filmic language of film noir to do a western story mm. it's like the it's law kind of versus like a mix of both yeah like it is that's what i'm saying that it's yeah. using the tropes of yeah. film noir. because even the shootout at the end like film noirs don't have massive shootouts at the end and but it's like very sh- yeah if you compare the, the shootout is very similar to the ending of like my darling clementine or something yeah. It's uh, uh, like the guns and also the, the most how, like, quiet of gunfights. Yeah, that it's uh, also like the way that is like the uh, they they are possibly like World War Two veterans as well because mm. it's all like this kind of returning uh, 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 heroes. Let's mm. say that it's uh, like an interesting period of American history because everybody were linked to the war and still reeling very from fresh, it kind of thing very yeah. Fresh, yeah that is like reason why eisenhower is the president at this time and i think it's interesting as well like both as a book and as a movie that like it's early 50s not late 50s mm. which is like two very different connotations because like uh such an interesting decade not rewatching it but thinking about it because i haven't rewatched it like i think that the whole homosexual storyline uh linked to the kevin spacey character is very uh, yeah. uh problematic i think it's and, time uh, to it's time to, to, to like, talk about kevin spacey and i think that it, like kevin spacey is one of the because of the the not only what he did mm. but also his response to what he did i think yeah, uh, like the lack of remorse yeah and um uh, the and the way that he used it to come out as a like, mm, as a oh, cover. it's Hollywood's fault, whatever, like uh, fucking cover, yeah. throwing a, a a bone for us like dogs. Oh, look the other way, get distracted, ha ha ha. But like, uh, I, I think especially because it's so problematic already. Like I I found like last time that I watched it, which was like last year, already found that part very problematic the way that it dealt with K character mm. which I I felt that it was kind of strange because Curtis Hansen deals so well with uh, the uh, homosexuality of his characters in uh, Wonder Boys mm. that is just like a uh, fact of life that Robert Downey Jr. which is like the last great Robert Downey Jr. performance I think yeah. uh, uh, what's his name in Wonder Boys um, uh, Crabtree Crabtree <laughs> This has been a, a couple of episodes of great names. And then, uh, yeah, like, uh, also, like, anything with Francis McDormand. And uh, oh, yeah. and Michael Douglas is an underrated actor. I think that he's always been good. And people gone, like, the people yeah. forget how good Michael Douglas can be, even in terrible movies. Yeah. But, like, him as Liberace was great. Uh, That's a great movie, though. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Oh, fucking Matt Damon. Um, but I'm sorry, but it's true. But yeah, like I, I think that like I'm not imagining it's you. What this movie has as well, it's like not only the the explosions of um of violence. I think that it's a movie that it does set pieces, and I say that uh, uh like most people think uh, when you say like a set piece, like an action scene. Explosions. But like set pieces, like a very contained style for like a particular scene to do something, mm. and I think that the interrogation scene when they have like the three guys in different rooms and the way that uh like like what they say about cinema that cinema is really like uh uh playing with time Mm. 
And I think that Hansen in this movie is a genius in the way that he does it. And I think it's sad that he never, like, uh, tried to uh, not replicate this kind of movie, but, like, something like that. Ambitious, I think. You know, because this is ambitious in a lot of ways. And, like, the way he decided to go about it. And obviously, you know, it's the 90s. He had a bit more leeway with this kind of movie. But... Uh, yeah it's it's he's it's scattershot you know like the yeah. weird collection of things he made but it's more like the uh, like wonder boys it like stands side by side with this i think because it like it's not as visually or uh filmically brave to make mm. but i think it's a movie that number one is a really good adaptation of a good book that also had to change a lot mm. even like setting write the so. script as well sorry yeah yeah and also like that it achieves everything the 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 movie setting out to achieve uh what that this movie does as well but um, like it is a memorable memorable movie that like mm. it, it just sticks with in your brain in the in the way that like uh, other movies try to do it. like the i think that it was like even iconic at the time i remember like the old uh, film channels in Uruguay that I always mentioned that that was like <laughs> a big part of like my filmic upbringing. Like uh, when there was like a new season or whatever, they always had like a Lake Confidential in there somewhere. And always in the trailer, there will be like a montage of all like the big scenes of the movies coming out. Yeah. It would be like when they're interviewing the DA and they're like hanging him out of the, <laughs> the window and it's like, what do you say now? Like he's yeah. like, oh, Which shaking, paints, whatever. Which paints it as such a different movie. Because yeah. that like... I do love that scene though. He's just like, get him off me, Exley. He's like, I don't know how. I love, yeah. Well, there's some real great bromances um, in this, you know, odd couple bromances. <laughs> before uh... I give you more <laughs> more time on the on the floor, I just want to mention before I forget that, like, mm-hmm. I think that it's a uh, quite apt that this member of the cast is in this other movie, but I think that it's a clear, like, confidential is a clear influence in it. Is uh, the nice guys. The way that it oh, portrays yeah, LA yeah, and the, yeah. the, the even the way of the crime and like the music score and everything, Definitely, it's like uh, yeah, and then the fact of using the yeah, yeah. no, a hundred percent, like, um, like uh, what I think as well, like of um, of the of the film, it's uh, like uh, going back to the Kim Basinger character. I think the I do think as well that it's like my problem with the character itself. It's not like that she stays with the guy, the punch or whatever. Is that like her whole arc? is there to the man of violence arc mm. you know that is she's there to um uh to be a foil to both guy pierce and rosa crow but also rosa crow's like very obvious arc if there's an issue with this movie mm. besides the the dealing with uh, your man that is in the What's his face? Uh, he's in a TV show like uh, was um, the Mentalist or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the, he's also in The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, like, uh, but like, uh, all I think about Devil Wears Prada is that Stanley number Tucci. one Emily Blunt and number two Stanley Tucci, and that's like I like Meryl Streep, but Stanley Tucci is the best yeah. thing in anything that he, Stanley he Tucci really is. is. Even burlesque. Even uh. fucking Transformers. <laughs> But like I think that the the problem is the is the, the man of violence act that you can spot it like even the first time mm. that I watched it, which I wasn't that like I must have been like twelve or something when I watched it the mm. first time. That scene as soon as it started, I was like, yeah, yeah, like he's the violent guy that is gonna be like his arc is gonna I be also... that he has brains as long as as much as brawn and emotion, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but I do like the the relationship that he has with Exley, so it's mm. kind of. 
And also the problem is that Kim Basinger doesn't look like Veronica Lake at all. And they show a picture of Veronica Lake that if you're yeah. just doing it and then make a show a picture of like Kim Basinger makeup to go like, this is how Veronica Lake looks and this is how close you get. Yeah. But like she's supposed to be a spitting image of Veronica Lake. And yeah. there's a, it's very, very, very like pointed that the movie like the, yeah, yeah oh that's the whole the, point of her character yeah. is that like they didn't have to give her a surgery you know like she really is like Lynn Bracken or whatever yeah what I noticed really watching it um directly <clears throat> after we watched so many 80s movies and stuff is um the thing that really dates um uh, a film I think sometimes or mostly is uh sex scenes yeah and uh this is a 90s they have 90s sex scenes yeah. in the way that like it's not it's not 80s it's not early 90s and it's not like 2010s or whatever yeah. whatever the fuck we're calling this decade you know what i mean like there are subtle the differences teens. but like yeah that it's a 90s sex scene and yeah. it's the only thing that i think dates it not enough sax that's well, what i like, yeah and, or blue neon yeah, yeah. lighting yeah like uh, fucking <laughs> uh, nobody went to fucking tony scott filmmaking school but i think also the um with with the movie watching back and it's something that like um I think that the twist is like in the end, the kind of uh, even though thematically is interesting, I think that the mystery itself is on it and interesting. Mm. Like uh, perhaps it's on for the rewatches now that I like it doesn't take away that much from the movie. No, but like it, knowing what's happening or what's going to happen. Yeah, like I think that that's more interesting than the the mystery itself because I think that it's the what you call it. It's. Uh, it's the problem with mysteries that I uh, spoke before in other mystery movies that you have to have red herrings, mm. but you have to believe the red herrings as well if they're gonna be workable. And also that like some of the that either the the biggest problem with mysteries nowadays and other times is that there's red herrings that you just don't believe that they were the people mm. that committed the crime, or then you have something like more than the Orient Express that is like everybody's involved. So like everybody <laughs> was a red herring and everybody wasn't a red herring, which is awful because it's a cheat. Yeah, but super fun. It's the same as like season two of True Detectives. Like everybody that they talked about the, the crime was involved <sighs> in the crime. And in this case is that you never believed uh like I didn't even when I watched the first time that it was like it was the the, the black guys. Yeah. Oh no. Like, yeah and the thing is that them because the characters believe it because even Exley thinks that it's them you know like you you're like going like I'm smarter than the characters even though like I'm not like obviously I'm not tainted to the societal yeah. uh means that they are but like I think that there should have been like a little bit more evidence in the movie or like even when they're planting the shotguns that we just didn't fucking be so obvious that they're yeah, planting the it, shotguns it really, because like, then you're like okay th th it's not these guys yeah straight away and then you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop yeah. rather than go on the ride with go the characters with yeah yeah i know what you mean i suppose like part of it as well is that they have the sort of distraction of the gear yeah. so that it's that's kind of what they get caught up in so it's like oh well if they're willing to do that then you know what i mean it's like this is just an extra or something i, I don't know like that it, why it is that they go along with it but that it's kind of hard for us to get past the yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. That it, like, the part that I was more interested in the mystery is, like, knowing the tropes of noir that is always, there's two cases, and they're always oh, related. They're always linked. And it's, like, the way that it's, like, how are they going to be linked? Yeah. That 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 was, like, interesting, because yeah. it's, like, a mystery that you give What's a shit about, know, and there's, like... You know that it's not... You know that it's not the guys. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, obviously. 
but at the same time like finding out like not just who it is but like how yeah. you know what i mean and the idea that it institutional kind of um corruption is always way more interesting yeah. than um than just like general crime um but uh like and I think that this is a, a film that clearly shows as well that location um, locations managers and location oh. searches should be nominated for Oscars. Yeah, along with casting directors. Yeah, yeah seriously, the unsung heroes. Like realistically, it's it's very sad. Well, like it, really... so many directors decide that, that. Like, how do you direct? Uh, you cast well. Because if you cast well, you don't need to do. How do you cast well? You get fucking casting directors. So yeah, I, I, it's a, it's an endless mystery to me that this whole institution set up to celebrate film misses out on some of the key things. Well, like in this one, like it's uh, (coughs) casting director is like ninety percent of what's on screen. Like the you get like art design that did all the the props and whatever they like they get nominated most of the time you're not looking at that much yeah you're looking at the the fucking like you don't get an like a fucking you're setting the scene but you're not making it that every person with a line of dialogue in the movie like this that has like so many speaking parts mm-hmm. like everybody was cast Someone audition fucking... went through fucking headshots made calls got you know like Sp- probably spent more time doing that that the movie took to be made yeah no recognition. Walking over and I was like, what? Like, do I remember as well as I do? And even talking, I can see the mm. scenes. and Like, just play it, do the play-by-play almost. Uh, mm. Everything. And I do think that movie sometimes drags when it goes away from the main, like, uh, crime kind of thing. That Even though, like, the Vincennes kind of, like, side stories when, like, he does the pot bust or mm. whatever. It's like, it's funny, but it's like... It's not where the meat is at or like the same mm. when the, all the the very long scenes with Kim Basinger. That's why I said that like I think uh, I don't have a problem with the character being problematic, but I have a problem with uh, her place per se in the movie. And, uh, yeah. And also that I think the her scenes drag a bit, especially because it's so segregated to mm. her house that everything it's, else is about the world she doesn't and have as much to do as everyone else as well like yeah. which is you know. but everything that she does is in that gaff like mm. uh, until the the last shot like there she's never somewhere else no we're introduced to her in the liquor store yeah mm. but uh, besides that it's like introduction do, and end it's like yeah. the book i do thing. like that scene though whenever uh she's just like uh i can't remember if she's like oh you have a good night officer and he's like oh is that obvious and she's like it's practically stamped on your forehead yeah. <laughs> oh, the which script it is, is great oh like, the script is great and like it's it, at, at the same time like the like the as in like the dialogue is like it, it doesn't feel like super noir or really kind of like it straddles it's, the line between pulpiness and realism, yeah. the, like very uh, yeah, and, but like kind of actual fifties kind of uh, speech as well. Like it's coming after like uh, the Marcus Shaw Liberty Valance. Mm. What this movie feels like it's somebody retelling the story of what happened. Yeah, you know, like uh, with the structure and it's like this Spinning guy said it this way. Yeah, like yeah. In, in the same way that Danny DeVito is in the beginning, kind yeah. of thing, but. I know we say that all the time. It's like, oh, they don't make them like this anymore. And I'm trying to think of like one that came out recently that, you know, probably The Post, realistically, yeah. you know. When yeah, but that's a Spielberg film. Yeah, and comes with the clout already and comes with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And, and also like if it doesn't feel like it feels like uh, I liked it, but it feels very. Uh, old school. <laughs> not only old school, it feels very safe, which yeah. this isn't, mm. you know, like something like. 
in the end, that's the thing is that these movies in general, like A24 is doing a good job of releasing. Mm. like And uh, releasing a lot as well. Like, jeez. But then you have like... Um, uh, as the... <laughs> With the f- Timothy Chalamet as the face of A twenty four now. Oh yeah, the new his new movie looks deadly as well. But so much hype. Also, like something like not to to say that it is like a brilliant movie, but something like Battle of the Sexes and stuff that is like yeah. uh, not exactly like groundbreaking or it's a safe picture, but mm. it's not okay. You have Emma Tom, you, you have Emma. Stone and uh, you almost got her name just, wrong. <gasps> yeah, but I nearly said Emma Thompson, which is better than Emma Stone. It's like greater than you know the, yeah. the symbol. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like it's hard to to like. I'd say that even though it cost nearly a hundred million, the closest thing to a mid-budget brave movie was Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> You know, like that kind of like I don't give a shit. I'm making this movie kind of yeah. like uh, uh, balls to the wall. Yeah, kind. but at the same time, that's based off of an, an original kind of collection of movies, and I don't know if it completely qualifies, but similar. Yeah, like well, like uh, the Lost City of Z. Oh yeah, that and mm. yeah, and then the the release history of the movie. But then again, like uh, the Fat Harvey Weinstein was. Mm. <laughs> Jesus, we got all the creeps in this episode. Um, yeah, I think we need to wrap up now because we're. Oh yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, that was. Uh... But there wasn't an awful lot of time to talk about after your fucking mammoth Sorry. introduction. I didn't mean to. I just started talking and it took a long time. Um, you had input in the middle. It's fine. It was your birthday. I I pardon you. It's my birthday. I pardon you. What was your favorite thing? Um. Yeah, like the I think that it is the just the sheer cinematic uh, skill that mm. uh, that Curtis Hansen uh, weaves throughout the movie, and uh, especially the way that like both geograph the geography of both the city, but also of each location, you understand the places, like you understand how the diner is set up, mm. where everything is, how like. The spatial awareness that you have in the shootout at the end is fucking unbelievable. That you know exactly where people are coming from, where they are, mm. what's the plan, why it's dangerous, etc. Mm. And the exact right amount of time yeah. is given to like shots as well. Like this is all an over-edited movie, which I really appreciate. And then you have also like the police station and the uh, Kim Basinger's you have house. A homicide. It's kind of like that. Everything is it's it's lived in as well, and um, I think it partly of that is also like on the blocking. But even like just when they had the chase through the apartments, that like oh. it's like it feels like each apartment has the, its own little life, you yeah. know. That it's like you see it for a second. Yeah, that you literally just intruded into somebody's life, like the, the guy with the cereal. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus! And it's kind of a funny movie that I like. Yeah. Um, like the Lana Turner thing is hilarious. <laughs> she is Lana Turner. What? <laughs> Who are you? Get away from my table. Oh yeah, like he throws the fucking <laughs> glass of fucking thing. Oh, so funny. Like uh, yeah, like the that'd be my favorite thing. I do like the the performances and the way it's shot, and also like I always liked uh, like something that we keep coming back to that is not only fascism but fascism, but also like a, a directly post World War Two kind of timeline like mm. shit like in the late 40s early 50s the that, tone like, the, of that time 
Yeah, that is always interesting because it's like a world being rebuilt and there's like both like optimism and Melancholia. pessimism depending on which part of the world, depending on which side of the Iron Curtain you fell into, mm. like kind of thing. <laughs> Indeed. What was your favorite thing, Orla? Uh, I'm going to say cinematography because cinematography, I'm really... I'm shocked! Well, fuck you. Um, <laughs> uh, probably because it was the thing that I really, really, really noticed on watching it this time, and I was like, Jesus, just doing something really interesting with it, and it's just some absolutely beautiful shots, and it is like getting these just like slight little movements and reframes and moves around characters, and it gives it a real like lived in, um, like it's almost like not voyeuristic, but the same sort of idea of. Um, of uh of, of the fincher kind of um movement and yeah it just oh it just looks really really incredible um and i would recommend people to watch uh la plays itself because yeah and that's what like uh it's super fascinating and also chinatown because this yeah. movie it's kind good, of very very good very... companion piece and the nice guys because uh the nice guys is brand oh didn't um the next picture show that was their the nice guys, the nice guys came out yeah when was that last like good last year, yeah. There's a lot of comparisons, definitely, and obviously, um, Shane Black is, you know, he knows this, he knows his references, but um, yeah, it was, it was still great to watch it again, and I was like, yeah, still, still hold up. Well, like it's one of those things that, like, if you see this compared to something like Public Enemy, that oh, it's like geez. not only you have another creep and Johnny Depp in it, but also oh, like no. the. But I think that the sound design on this as well, like in the in the shootouts, is very interesting. Um, so, what was your least favorite thing, Ron? Mm. Yeah, just the little things that you catch on though. You know, liking the Kim Basinger's character, like the treatment of um, what is what is the gay character's name? Uh, I didn't watch the movie, so um, don't, don't ask me. It, uh, <laughs> it it is like genuinely sad though. Whenever yeah. he, he does die, like it it is, um, and even how Kevin Spacey reacts to it, like you know, Kevin Spacey is a good actor. Um, yeah, like the Rollo Tomasi that scene, oh, like it's great, like it's the, so good. Uh, looking um, at the point in the but wall, but even even later as well, like whenever um, uh, James Cromwell says it to him, and actually, it actually is just like, huh? <laughs> you can see his face just going. <laughs> like, like a fucking uh, cartoon like. yeah literally and he's just like oh no that doesn't ring any bells to me at all bye gotta go find Bud White <laughs> um, but like Bud White sounds like a fucking new Budweiser that is about <laughs> to come out of like Bud Light Bud White <laughs> well, I suppose anybody that drinks Bud Light is a Bud White <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> I was like yeah I mean there's no argument with that really is there like fucking watching NFL eating chicken wings that's <laughs> that's the butt Pol- light polishing again. your guns um oh Jesus <laughs> um anyways what was your least favorite thing I think that like beyond the all, all those little issues that I pointed out uh, my least favorite thing is that I uh, received the uh, yeah that I watched I'm sorry. it um, but like I, I feel like it's quite surprising I was able to get through an episode considering I, I didn't watch well. the movie like so I'm kind of yeah, like I, I uh, wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to do it with I think many like yeah. most movies but this is one that kind of yeah yeah 
it's also like it's one of the movies that like uh, i watched it again in first year college when we were like learning the ropes like i was already making films when uh when i was like 16 or something but i didn't really understand the, like some of the reasons Just why i made like, the decisions that... yeah because i kind of already was doing it but i didn't under like i just did it out of reflex because i had watched so many movies mm. so like not crossing the line which is kind of hilarious because now i keep crossing the line when i know it's only it it's only like subtly though most yeah. of the time it's like we just moved slightly yeah part of that though is because we don't have a monitor we need to get a monitor yeah but like uh the but yeah like it's one of those films that was like very uh influential to uh, my cinematic upbringing i think because it is that kind of film that uh, merges everything that is good about cinema in a way mm. that is like performance script cinematography editing soundtrack art direction locations like in every like special effects because like the the gore and the mm. gunshots are really great you know and uh, camera movement like it, you feel like everybody that was involved and in the production the right, like yeah. uh, uh, and they were all given a chance to yeah. do their best work as well if you know what I mean like they're, they're very uh they like Kurt Hansen gives room for everybody to shine and I think it's the like a sign of a good director and mm. um and again like kind of said that like with the exception of Wonder Boys he hasn't made anything else of like mm. very like very noteworthy like I know like, he hasn't made any really bad movies no, that I remember her shoes is not that bad yeah but Just... no, like I like in her shoes but like uh, yeah. mainly because I don't uh, Tony Collette can do no wrong but, yeah that's true but like, uh, like Tony Collette could play fucking Goebbels, and I'd be like, <laughs> I love her. I just, <laughs> She's fantastic in this movie. I just I love her in um, in uh, about a boy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. About a boy is great. <laughs> yeah, I love Coco Bombs. Fucking. It's that Sunday. Oh, it's so good. We rewatched that recently because we were on a bit of a Hugh Grantathon. And uh, it just, I mean, the idea of using Hugh Grant to play such an asshole is yeah. really great. Uh, <clears throat> and obviously the discovery of um, Young Watts' name. But um, anyways, many, many, many tangents this week. But uh, thank you, Ricardo, for uh, for rallying and uh, for <laughs> taking the risk of uh, relying on your extensive memory of a movie that you probably haven't this seen. Is, I, I think that uh, I'm able to do this, but you might not be able to do it. Yeah, no. Um, if it's been more than a week since I've seen the movie, I have to really <laughs> read my notes before we start recording. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that was LA Confidential. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is going to do uh, uh, that was LA Confidential go seek it out if you haven't seen it you lucky fuckers uh, if you have seen it watch it again because it is just it holds up it's fantastic um, and uh, yeah so next week's movie is Ricardo's pick it is indeed what are you picking uh, we're, we're watching uh, Ving Bender's yeah. Wings of Desire very excited the original not the, the remake mm. City mm. of Angels starring Nicolas Cage mm. and Mike Ryan no really no not no. that no, no. We're watching the lesser version. <laughs> Two characters that I couldn't imagine having any any chemistry whatsoever. Meg Ryan is weird, though. Look, you expect there to be no chemistry in that movie, mm. and there's actually less. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she only has chemistry with Tom Hanks. Well, but that else. movie, and that's only because it's Tom Hanks. But that movie does have randomly. Is she a helicopter pilot? No, only <laughs> no. Uh, but that movie randomly has a cover version of a Roy Orbison song sung by Nick Cave, which uh, is like, 
not what you expect from that movie. And it's wow. uh, that that's the only reason to watch that, that movie. Where um, can they find us, Ricardo? They can find this uh, the recommendation game at gmail.com. They can find us on Facebook, the recommendation game. They can find us on Twitter at the right game. You can find us on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud. We're also on Dublin Digital Radio every Monday, 11 to 12. And uh, you can also support independent uh, Irish radio uh, in supporting um, Dublin Digital Radio through their Patreon. And uh, yeah, that's uh, everything for the week. Uh, I was Ricardo Deacon. I was Orlando Thank you for listening. See you next week.